Thank you, Ed. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, full disclaimer, uh, I love to preach. Uh, Tom Williams said, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good as once I ever was. I don't know if that's true or not today. We'll find out here in a minute. Uh, but uh, I like to preach. I am a little old school for you young tender ears. I've already preached once this morning, so I kind of got the rough edge off. Brother Casey's with us. God bless you, brother. Uh, uh, so I'll try to be more calm. It never works, but I'm going to try. I just, I'm going to give you that full disclaimer. We're in Acts chapter 17 this morning to read two verses of Scripture. <clears throat> and as the old country preacher said, to depart therefrom. <clears throat> Verse 22, Paul is talking here. He's on his missionary journey. He gets to the, to the island of Greece, and he walks into the city of Athens. And he said, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious. In every respect, as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Is that not the perfect picture of our world and America today? I mean, extremely religious. I mean, we've got religion hanging off of every, every doorstep. We've got new ones popping up every day. Uh, uh, we've got those that are popping up that, that said they were religion, but now they're anti-religion, but that still makes them in the religion category. Uh, uh, I mean, Paul said, I see that you're extremely religious. Never be deceived. There's a whole lot of difference between religion and Christianity. <clears throat> He said, but I found an altar to an unknown God. If there's anything that I believe today, I believe that the world around us does not know God. The sad statement that I'm going to make to you today is I think that there are people in the average Baptist church, some even sitting here in this auditorium this morning, that you do not know the God that you serve. I think that you have an ideal of what you want God to be, but that you really don't know the God that you serve. Every area of our community and our world and our government wants to make God who they want him to be, but they don't want to accept him as the God of the universe and the God of the world. And so they try to, they try to reshape and remold and reconfigure God so that he fits in their little uh, particular box. I say to you today, the world has forgotten the attributes of God They've forgotten his holy nature. They've forgotten the morals that he established. They've forgotten that he is loving, that he is long-suffering. Uh, they've forgotten who God is, that he's always and forever unchanging. They forgot that he's the God of creation. That cre he created all that there is in this world, that he's omnipotent, omnipresent, that he's the head of the Trinity along with his darling Son and the sweet Holy Spirit that he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of David. They've forgotten that he is the great I Am. He's the God that confused the people at the Tower of Babel when they said, we will ascend into heaven and abide where God abides. He's the God of Noah when he brought his judgment and had Noah build the ark. You say, why did he do that? Because the world had gotten to the same place, I'm afraid, that we're at today. 
They did whatever pleased them and whatever made them feel good. And God said, I won't tolerate it anymore. Thank God he's the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night to those who are wandering in the wilderness that he never forgot them. He parted the Red Sea. He fed them manna every day. He provided for them. He took care of them. He gave them victory after victory after victory. People forget we in 2021 on this day in April, this beautiful day that God has given us, this thing here, God needs to take it and lay hands on it. <laughs> it's slowly working its way up around my ear and I think something's after me. Um, sorry for that commercial. We're back. We've forgotten that God is still the same today as he was a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, or six thousand years ago. This God that we serve, he's the God of eternity past. He's the same God that sat down with his darling son and the sweet Holy Spirit on a day in eternity past. And there they plotted out and they planned a way for you and I to know him and for you and I to have a relationship with him. And that way was for his son to leave the throne room of God and to leave the presence of his father and come into this world. And to be tortured and tormented and made fun of by the world and then crucified on a cross. To the point that God himself turned his back on his son as he hung there. We've forgotten who God is. We've forgotten his capabilities and what he intends for us. This is the God that we serve. He's not Santa Claus. He's not the toy store where you just go and ask him what you want and he gives it to you. He's not the old man upstairs. He's not the brother. He's almighty God. And the world today does not want to accept that. But I say to, to us and to the world, we need to pay attention because judgment day is coming. I'm not asking for us to be perfect, but I'm asking and the Holy Spirit of God is insisting that we be strivers. Paul said in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 10, for, this, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. Guys, we've got to strive. We've got to get up every morning and put one foot in front of the other. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Paul said we have to strive to be the person that God wants us to be. The little book of Jude, chapter 1 and verse 3, we not only have to strive, we have to be contenders. Although I was very eager to write to you about common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, for the faith that was once delivered for all to all saints. We must be race runners. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 12 and verse 1, run with endurance the race that is set before you. Our pastor, God love his heart. He texted me last night. He ran 16 miles yesterday. I wanted to say something rude to him, but he's my boss and my pastor. 
He might have rode the short bus at some point in his life. I'm just saying. I don't intentionally walk 16 miles in a week. But let me tell you something. You don't run 16 miles by accident. You train for it. You sacrifice for it. You eat the right things. You go the right places. You drink the right things. You prepare for it. We as Christians think we can run this race accidentally. We think it's going to be a bed of roses. God said, I insist that you run away. We must be lovers of God and the things of God. I told my wife as I was finishing this up last night, I said, I got a three-hour sermon. I got 30 minutes. It's going to be tough. I let the old folks off easy this morning. I don't know about y'all. No, I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> three things I want to give you about God today that I believe are true today, and I believe they're important, and I believe that God still does, that he uses it, and without it, we will not be successful as his people. First of all, I believe God always has a man. I believe with all my heart we called Robert Welch to be our pastor some 12 years ago. 28 years old, everybody said, what in the world are you doing? Two months later, he hired me, a, a former pastor, and had been in the church for 40 years, and his father and Dr. Richards and everybody that he called, uh, our, our new uh, director, uh, Nathan Lork, he called all of them. He never told me what they said, but I told him, I said, I know what they said. They said, Robert, do not hire that old guy. He's been there 40 years. He will ruin you. Robert Welch was the man for this church. Almost two years ago, we hired a young man named Michael Kreiner, and he moved his sweet family up here, and he began to plow this field, and, and the devil threw the pandemic in and, and tried to derail it, but, but now he's about to get his feet on the ground, and, and, and God's beginning to work. Uh, and you say, what do you think? I believe that Michael Kreiner was the man for this church for the hour that we called him. I got Brother Casey over here and Brother Ronnie over here. These are two old guys older than me. They've been around longer than me. They preach longer than me. Don't wave your hand and shake. No, I know. <laughs> These two men, including myself, we still believe that God calls men and women to do a job. He calls men to pastor and be evangelists and be teachers. And he calls women to do all the things that God has for women to do. Verse 15 of Acts chapter 9, one of my favorite, favorite verses of Scripture. When I became associate pastor here 11 years ago almost, people asked me, Brother Danny, how are you going to be the number two guy? How are you going to be the associate pastor? You've been here 40 years, and, and you've been a firefighter for 20 years. You're a take charge, in charge, type A personality. How are you going to sit back and let Brother Robert be the pastor of this church? Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Saul of Tarsus has been struck down the road by the Lord. He's been blinded. He's been carried to a house uh, in the city there. And the Lord went over to another street, to another house. He found a man there by the name of Ananias. He said, Ananias, go talk to Paul and teach him what he needs to know. <laughs> Ananias said, Lord, I'm a little busy. That dude throws people like me off a building, stones them, hangs them, and allows them to be killed I'm not going. 
Here's what the Lord said. Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Can I say to you today, I pray in my heart, and I want you to pray in your heart every day, Lord, let me be an Ananias. Sometimes you don't get to be the man. You don't get to be this man that throws this thing out the door. <clears throat> Didn't bother me at all the first service. This, I can't get it settled back in. Sometimes you don't get to be the man. Sometimes you get to be the messenger for the man. Sometimes God has to use you to help the man out in front get the job done. God always has a man. He created Adam. He created Adam for a purpose. Wasn't on a whim. Wasn't because he just was bored. He created Adam for a specific purpose and a job. He called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He called Moses uh, by the use of a burning bush. He called Noah. He called Daniel. Daniel stood up for him twice, once as a young man and once as an older man in the, in the city. And he said, I will not bow. He called Daniel. said, Daniel, you're my man. He called Elijah, Elisha. He called King David. Hundreds more that I could list. And y'all that know me know I love the Old Testament and the stories. We could stay all day and I could tell you the stories of the Old Testament because that, that's what I love. He called hundreds more. And since then, he's called thousands more. He called Ronnie Yarbrough, the pastor in Dallas. He called Brother Casey in Malakal. He called them to do all different kinds of things as well as thousands of other pastors and evangelists. We have our own Aaron Hinton and his wife are moving to Malawi. He said, why in the world would they do that? Because God called them. I believe it in my soul. Hang on, guys. God calls women too. Personal opinion doesn't call them to stand here. He called Esther. A verse of scripture I use every week, if not every day in my life. Mordecai put his finger on Esther's nose and said, little lady, listen to me. Do you not know and believe and think that maybe God brought you to this place at this time to do this job? Ruth, not even a Jew. Rahab the harlot, not a good woman, but God had a job for her. The little servant girl of Naaman had been taken a slave as a 10, 11, 12-year-old girl. She got to work in, the, in the, the captain of the army, Naaman's house, and, and he got leprosy and his hand began to wither and go away. And he had to hide it because he could not have that and be the captain of the army. This little meek, mild, but yet bold and the spirit of God uh, servant girl came in one day and she said, Master, I know a man in my old country that can fix that. Naaman went and was healed as he dipped into the Jordan River seven times. God calls women. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, 
the mother of Christ, was chosen by God to be his mother. It's not all fun and games, though. He called 11 of the 12 apostles to do a job. And all but one of them died a horrible martyr's death. <laughs> you say, Brother Dan, you're not very good at advertising and getting people to help. I, I, I hear you. <laughs> they were hanged, beaten, thrown off walls, stoned, crucified. Samson of the Old Testament just couldn't stay out of trouble. But at his death, as he put his hands on the pillars of that great gathering hall they were in, and he cried out to God, he said, God, one more time, let me be the man that you call me to be. The Bible records as he pushed those massive pillars over, more people were killed in his death than he'd killed in all of his life for the cause of God. Sometimes serving the Lord isn't a pretty thing. Sometimes he calls you to work in the nursery. That's, you need to look at that, girls, as a training and men as a training exercise. Because after you work in the nursery, then he's going to call you to work in first grade. And then if you survive first graders, he's going to survive, hey, how about fourth graders? And you're going to survive that, and you think, man, I can do anything. Then he's going to ask you to work with junior high kids. I, forgive me, kids. <laughs> junior high is the worst. You say, why? Because they're full grown. They know everything, been everywhere, done everything, got all the answers. Just ask them. <laughs> By the time they get to high school, they've had a few hard knocks, and, and they, they, they were like me. They went from being... Uh, the biggest kid in school in elementary and junior high and I got to Carrollton High School and R.L. Turner my freshman year first day of summer workout two days and I walked up and we got down after the, we exercised and ran a few this and that other and we lined up for head to head and I was a bad 90 pounds I'm telling you 4 foot 11 and 90 pounds <laughs> Ray King walked up on the other side of the aisle other side of the, of the field and I looked and I could see his belly button and I thought, this ain't good. And I looked up. He was only about 6'1". He grew to be about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, by the time we graduated. Ray's a good guy. He stepped out of line and grabbed the guy behind him, who was more my size, and pushed him up to the line. Coach Kincaid said, King, what do you think you're doing? And he's like, Coach. He said, get down there. And he's a nice guy. He took it easy on me. We just kind of, you know. And boy, he snatched him up by the face mask. And he said, is that the best you've got? If it is, we'll run a little bit. He said, no, sir. And he flattened me like a pancake. <laughs> Say, what happened? I felt the Holy Spirit lead me to go play basketball. <laughs> <coughs> Sometimes serving God is not all bells and whistles. Sometimes God calls you to do a, a dirty task. Sometimes he calls you to do what nobody else wants to do. You say, what happens if I don't answer? Ezekiel 22, 30, and 31. 
And God said, I searched for a man among them to repair the hedge, the wall, stand in the gap before me for the land, that's the people of the land, so that I might not destroy it, but I found no one. God said, I went from house to house, from door to door, from pew to pew, from chair to chair, from classroom to classroom, and I was looking for someone that would stand and preach. I was looking for someone that would stand and teach. I was looking for anyone that would hold the banner of God high. And I found no one. Then what happened? Therefore, I poured out my indignation on them and I consumed them with the fire of my fury. I brought their conduct down on their heads. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Guys, we've forgotten who God is. We've forgotten that God expects you and me to be the person that stands in the hedge. You've forgotten and you believe that me and Michael and Ed and David and, and Jeremy and, and Aaron are going to be the ones that win this community and this world of Christ. We are not. We're going to do our part. But there's not 300 plus people sitting here this morning because of me and Michael and, and, and Ed. They're here because you stood in the gap and made up the hedge. God is looking for servants, looking for men. My favorite subject outside of grace, mercy, and that kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. Like it or don't like it, I really don't care. God chose the church. <laughs> I'm a church guy. I believe in the church. God instituted the church. God established the church. Jesus died for the church. One day he's coming back for the church. When you get to heaven and sit down at the marriage feast of the Lamb and you get to your place at the table and you look at the name card sitting there, you may tell you what's going to be there. It's going to be church slash bride. You say, Brother God established the church. Ed mentioned the on, online services. Thank God for online services over the past year. But don't let the devil blind you and, and taunt you and steal you away from the community of the church. That's not church. Church is this fiber that we weave together and that God weaves together of weird people. I mean, I'm sorry. Y'all should all be like me. <clears throat> but have you noticed the oddities that God puts together? I see y'all fellowshipping and, 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 and talking and going out to eat, and I'm like, how in the world do those two ever get along? They are exact opposites. I mean, one's over here and one's over here, and yet in the middle, they just all gooey and lovey-dovey and dislike each other. And then I see some of y'all that are together, and I'm like, how do those two be friends? They're exactly alike. They're hard-headed, loud-mouthed, obstinate, say what's on their mind, and they get together, and they, they visit and go on vacation together. You say, what is that? That is that woven tapestry called community and called church. I've walked through heartache and trouble and trials in my life. And I'll say with hand raised to God, had it not been for the church, I would not have survived. God was there first. But he used the people of my army and the people of my family and the people of my church 
to come in and to hold me and to, and to, and to help me through those times. One verse of scripture, Matthew 16 and verse 18. Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, this cornerstone, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All of Satan and all of his armies and all the demons and all the people in Washington, the people in Russia, the people in China, no one will prevail against this church. People say it every week, every day, oh, brother, what's going to happen when the church is gone? It's not going to be gone until Jesus comes, and then they have this world. The church. God chose the church. God is the church. There's been hundreds of televangelists come and go. Back in the old days, the radio evangelists came and went. My favorite one was the old guy that used to tell you to put your hand on top of the radio and God would give you a special blessing. My dad was a preacher. He always said from the pulpit, he said, if you put your hand around behind the radio, you'll get more of a charge than we on top of it. And <laughs> you know, I, 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 always, I always hung on to that. <laughs> Guys, if you're not part of a church, if you don't support your church, with your presence, with your money, with your work, with your labor, with volunteering, then you're not doing what God left you here to do. Finally, the third thing that I want you to get is God gave the church, gave you and I a job and a mission. The first one is one of my favorite stories in Acts chapter 12. Peter's been in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The CSV that, that Michael preaches out of, that was ESV, says Peter was in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. <laughs> they were typical Baptists. God answered their prayers while prayer meeting was going on. <laughs> and, and they didn't believe it. They called a little girl that came and said, Peter's outside. And they're like, girl, what is wrong with you? Don't be lying to us. She said, no, I'm not kidding. They said, somebody check her, see if she's got a fever. She's lost her mind. She's gone crazy. Church, our job is to pray. One of the greatest fibers that weaves a church together is prayer. I can do what I do at my somewhat advanced age and all of my medical problems. I'm looking forward to getting to heaven. I take about 12 pills in the morning, about 10 at night. And if I wasn't a Baptist preacher, I would cuss with everyone I swallowed because I hate them. They make me feel like this a while, like this a while, like this a while. I mean, you never know what you're going to get out of it. It's a, it's a box of chocolates. <laughs> Prayer is important. It's not just a little now, lay me down to sleep. It's not just a little rub-a-dub-dub, thank you for the grub. That, that's, not, that's not prayer. Y'all will get that in a minute. Y'all will Earnest, fervent prayer. 
If you don't pray for Michael Kreiner, shame on you. If you don't pray for the staff of this church, the Sunday school teachers of this church, the finance committee of this church, the deacons of this church, the men and women that you sit across from, that you do small groups with, that you go to Sunday school with, if you don't pray for the people in this church, then why are we here? I close with this. Three verses. Matthew 28, the job of the church. Jesus said in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Why did he say that? Because his entire ministry in the world, everywhere he went, everything he did, every miracle, every, every sermon, people said, who do you think you are? Only God can heal. Only God can do the, forgive sin. Only God. Jesus, hey, look around. I'm him. The authority of God lies within me. I am the authority of God. I am the man in this world. And being the authority of God, I'm saying to you this little two-letter word, go. Whether it's next door, across the aisle, to the Brookshire's, to the gas station, go and find someone that needs Jesus. They may need Jesus for salvation. They may need him because of a hardship. They may need him because they've lost hope and the devil has blinded them to the goodness and grace of God. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you where we have problems. Do you know how many million methods and how much methodology lies between that little word, go, and that phrase, make disciples? That's where Baptists have problems. It's not that we don't want to go, and it's not that we don't want to make disciples. It's what's in the middle. How do we get from go to making disciples? That's where we argue and fall off the wagon. Some churches do big events. Some churches do door-to-door. Some churches do, God bless them, bus visitation and run buses in the community. Some people rely on community events. You say, what's your point? God just put it out there. He said, you go and you make disciples. And what's in between there, you figure it out and keep it according to God's word and I'm going to be happy. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded. I think that's probably where we fall the shortest. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you hear what he's saying? The God we serve said, I've chosen a man or a woman. I put them in a church and I've given them a job to do. Now, let's go do that job and I'm going to help you. That's what he said. You go and make disciples and baptize them and remember that I'm right there with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to uphold you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to give you courage when, you're, when your courage fails. We need to remember who God is. We get so complacent as we sit in our pews and sit in our homes. And we think that God is just some jolly old figure 
that won't do anything bad to anybody, that he just loves everybody. But guys, we need to remember, he gave his son for our sins. And he left us with a mission and a job to do. So today I ask you, as you serve in this world, do you serve the true God? Are you to serve, do you serve a God that, as Paul said of the people of Athens, he has kind of become even unknown to you? You've kind of forgotten who he was and why you started serving him. Today, as we do invitation, if you've let your image of God and your belief of God slip, and I'm not talking about becoming a heathen atheist. I'm just talking about you don't see the need to be at church. You don't see the need to read your Bible like you used to. You don't see the need to pray like you used to. You don't need to see the need to give your money like you used to. You don't see the need to send missionaries around the world like we used to. We need to quit serving an unknown God and serve a true God. Stand with me, please. Father in heaven, bless our time together, Lord. May you open the hearts and lives of we, your children. May, Lord, you open the eyes and the hearts of the lost here today. May they see the true living God. May they know and feel your spirit working within them. May they come to know you as their Savior and their Lord. Help us as Christians, Lord, to always serve the true living God and not just make a mockery of serving a God that we don't really know. That is our prayer.